Today on Locked On A's, Sully continues his conversation with Melissa Lockard of The Athletic. They're talking about Bob Melvin's departure from the A's, what could be coming up next for the A's this offseason once the lockout is over, and a whole lot more. It's thrilling. I had a great time listening to this one. So, uh, enjoy. You are Locked On A's. Your daily Oakland A's podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team. Every day. It's time for Locked On A's. Stepping to the mic, it's your host, Sally. All right, folks, we're here with Melissa Lockard of The Athletic, talking about The Athletics. I want to just talk to you a little bit. The A's had a disappointing year in 2021. I picked them to win the division because I loved their starting pitching and I didn't love the Astros starting pitching. And to be fair, the A's starting pitching was better than the Astros starting pitching. It's just I didn't realize that the bullpen was going to always carry a nice bucket of gasoline to throw (laughs) on any fire. And unbelievable how many games the bullpen just coughed up and I really in the end coughed up their chance to you know make it to the postseason and now we're facing real uncertainty so where is I mean assuming we're going to have a season next year right yeah you know (laughs) let's say as we're recording this um I could be by the time this gets published Um, Melissa Locker may be announced as the new manager of the A's because as of this recording, they don't have a manager. Yeah, they they are moving closer to having one. They've had um, six candidates in, four internal and two external. I spoke with someone recently who was extremely impressed with the ones that they've spoken to. They're very excited about uh, the candidates they have coming in. So I, I don't think it'll be a whole lot longer before they have a new manager in place. But there's no doubt this is a transition offseason for them again. I think not unlike that one in 2011 that you're referring to where they traded those three players and kind of moved on to their quote unquote next window of contention, which came quicker, I think, you know, than they expected then. Uh, they've done this a lot. I mean, but it's, it's part of what has made being a fan of the A's what it's been for the last 35 years. They they aren't a team that's going to be static. They, they have these groups and the groups come in and they push them until they feel like they've got to a point where they've gotten all they can out of that group. And then they try to find the next group that kind of is going to come in. Um, and right now, their position players, even with the guys that they've lost in free agency so far, Mark Hanna being the one that who had actually of course, been there for a long time. So he was he was part of that core. But guys like Starling Marte in a different world, you would have liked to seen them try to be able to extend him because he was such an electric player. But, but the guys that are still under contract and under contract for a few years make up the core of a very solid, solid lineup. Um, but when you're looking at the pitching staff, you've only got Frankie Montas among their top starters who is under team control for more than one season. You've got not a whole lot of depth behind the current starting five in AAA due to injuries and trades and, and whatnot. And I think they're looking at it realistically, looking at where the rest of the division is at and not seeing a way to sustain this window of contention beyond where they are right now for right or for wrong. I mean, I think in my assessment of it, you are absolutely right. The, the bullpen is what 
undid the season. They also were pretty unlucky with some injuries. Obviously, Chris Bassett getting hit in the head with the line drive at the time that they did kind of really hurt the momentum that they had been trying to build then. Ramon Laureano being suspended really took a big chunk out of what they were doing offensively. But ultimately, guys like Usmero Petit and Sergio Romo and Lou Trevino and Jake Diekman, they all had kind of times when they were steady and then times when they weren't, and they all seemed to time up. There's times when they weren't at the exact same time in probably the exact same game. And that just, when August came, they couldn't keep it together long enough. And so it was was hard to watch. But I think once Trevor Rosenthal went down in spring training with a season-ending, ultimately season-ending injury, they just never really reset the bullpen in a way that found roles for people that were very comfortable. So um, no matter what, they were going to have to rebuild their bullpen from scratch. And, and I guess my sen- the sense I'm getting is that they didn't feel like they'd be able to do that well enough that keeping this rotation together for one more year was going to necessarily push them into contention for next season. So we'll see. I mean, the, the irony is they haven't actually made any of the moves yet that people are already sort of lamenting them having made. They haven't right. actually traded Matt Olson. They haven't traded Matt Chapman. They haven't traded Sean Manai or Chris Bassett. So we don't know, come out of the lockout, depending on what the new CBA is, it may change what they're even thinking at the moment. But it's certainly the indications are that, that some of those guys will not be back next season. I was at Chris Bassett through a complete game shutout against the Angels in, I want to say, June, May or June. And that was the first game that I went to post-COVID. Uh, the, the previous game I had gone to before that was game one, of the division series between the Dodgers and the Nats. And then COVID hit, didn't see anything there. And I was up north visiting visiting my family and, and complete game shut up by Chris Bassett. And throughout the course of the year, when I saw the, the bullpen woes continue for the A's, I kept thinking of the fact that they had three complete games all year. And I kept thinking, maybe you should have a few more. Uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe don't don't call to the bullpen as often as you do. You talked about some of the people actually haven't left the A's. Uh, one big one has, and that is Mr. Melvin, uh, you know, has gone to San Diego. I'm a huge Bob Melvin fan, not just because he's a native of Palo Alto, but, uh, you know, he was the glue of this team for just about a decade. And I think that is on the short list of you know, the best managers of the game, both what he did with the A's and what he did with Arizona. He had a team that had a negative run differential, got him to win 90 games and get to the National Championship Series in 2007. And I think he's one of these managers that is a World Series title away from having a real serious conversation about them being a Hall of Fame manager. And I hope he does do well in San Diego, a team that they haven't won the World Series since the Never. Gary <laughs> well, since the Gary Coleman made for TV movie, The Kid from right. Left Field. Yeah. That's the only time the Padres have ever won the World Series. But and and it will take I, I think that Bob Melvin will be a better manager than Gary Coleman in that film. And uh, you know, Probably, I, 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 exactly. And and a little more experience. <laughs> But uh, what what are you going to think? Of, I mean, what are your thoughts on on Melvin and his, you know, his legacy in in uh, with the A's, especially when you know Billy Bean, especially if you base it on how 
Brad Pitt and Philip Seymour Hoffman did those scenes together at Moneyball, you know, Billy Bean doesn't have the highest opinion of managers, but he gave this guy the reins for over a de- for about a decade. Yeah, I mean, I think that depiction was perhaps a moment in time and not exactly accurate as to how uh, Billy and, and David and the rest of the front office, um, you know, work with their managers. They, they loved, love still Bob Melvin. Um, Bob Melvin, I think, will go down as probably the greatest manager in Oakland A's history, and that includes Tony La Russa. Um, and I think, you know, this is this is a guy who took teams that were not nearly as talented as the teams that Tony, you know, had in the late 80s, and he won with really three different kind of sets of players. Um, And he did it, you know, not because he was tricking the other teams. I mean, his, you know, you look at his managing is pretty straightforward. I mean, he's not, he's not like Tampa. He's not, he's not managing the games backwards. He's not kind of putting people in roles that you wouldn't expect. Um, He's, he's a little more by the book, but that doesn't mean he's not into the numbers. I mean, you talk to him about any decision that he's made and and he's got all the numbers in front of him. He's one of the, um, you know, most detail oriented managers in the game for sure. But, um, you know, he's, he's able to reach players at every stage of their career. And I think that's what's really made him so successful. You bring in a veteran and he knows how to make a veteran feel comfortable in a young clubhouse. You bring in a young player and he knows how to make them comfortable in a veteran clubhouse. Um, he's always got the right demeanor for what's going on with the team, whether the team is, you know, hot or the team is cold. Um, and I think it'll be a great challenge for him in, in San Diego. I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to put that, franchise in a much better position to take that talent and do something with it than they were before. Um, And, you know, he had gotten to a point, I mean, he said people don't stay that long in sports. You know, he was over getting to a decade with the same team. And um, I think it got to a point where, you know, he was looking to win now and they were turning into this next cycle. And it wasn't necessarily fair to him at this stage of his career um, to have to go through that again. Um, And especially with everything that's up in the air with the stadium and everything else, you know, he's going to a situation where he knows he's got a three-year deal that the stadium is going to be there. The talent that he has in front of him is going to stay there and it gives him an opportunity to, to get the title he does deserve. So, you know, I, I wish him the very best. We're certainly going to miss him in the media up here because he was incredibly accommodating, uh, incredibly professional, always willing to make time for, uh, you know, the media both before games and after um, and honest, you know, he'd come in and the umps missed another call. <laughs> you know, he, he, he's not going to be over the top and um, Lou Pinella throwing a base, but he's going to let you know what he thinks about it. And, um, you know, I think he's going to be fantastic in that market. There's more coming up with Sully and Melissa, but first it is the new year and new year means new year's resolutions for a lot of people. It is about getting healthy, about getting fit, about getting more active. For me personally, I I have a newborn and it's about getting sleep, but for a lot of people, it's about health. And Built Bar can help you achieve those goals. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar and may be, in my opinion, even better than a candy bar itself. Built Bar makes it easy to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it. Unlike other protein bars that can be chalky or waxy or taste like chemical spill, that other protein bars, not great. I, I grew up on other protein bars. Uh, 
I, I like Built Bars a lot more than those ones, and they're covered in 100% chocolate, and most Built Bars contain 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, only 4 net carbs, 17 grams of protein, and if you compare that to a candy bar, it's usually 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. So to get your hands on some of these delicious treats. All you got to do is go to built.com and use promo code locked 15 for 15% off of your order. That is code locked 15 for 15% off at built.com. Now we talked a little bit about A's moves, um, players moves, managers moves. There could be the A's moving. I mean, that's the ultimate move. And, you know, in doing the research of some of the, the two writing projects that I have, it is mind-boggling that the A's are not a fixture in Philadelphia the way that the Tigers are in Detroit, the way the Cardinals are in St. Louis, the Red Sox are in Boston, because of the rich history they had initially. And a lot of those teams, a lot of the cities that had two teams, one of them had to move just because of population change and everything like that. And you would it would almost have to be the Phillies would be the one to move because they were the team that had, they were a nondescript franchise of garbage for so long. And it just so happened that when franchises started to move, the Phillies were good. The A's were a mess. And suddenly Philadelphia kept the Phillies instead of the A's. And so the A's have been this team that has wandered and have been linked to so many cities over the years. In fact, I, I, I talked about this in another podcast. I forget who the guest was, but I have right over there a book that I got when I was in second grade called All Pro Baseball 1980. And it's all the, um, you know, uh, the previews for the teams. And for every team, it says like you know, Texas Rangers, Boston Red Sox. And then it just says the A's. Mm-hmm. And they said, whether they're playing in Denver or Oakland, da, 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 da. And so at that time of printing, they weren't sure if they were going to be the Denver A's or the Oakland A's. And they almost became Louisville. They almost moved to this. They almost moved to that. They were going to move to San Jose. I, I did a podcast from the place in Fremont where they were going to build the Cisco Stadium or whatever that was. Uh, as long as the A's, as long as I can remember, the A's have been trying to get a new stadium. And we are now in, what, the fifth decade of them trying to get a new stadium? Why is now different <laughs> than well, any of those other years? You know, I mean, because now they actually have, they've made significant progress in terms of actually getting the environment, well, first finding the place they want to do it and actually being a place that's not a parking lot in Fremont. No offense to Fremont, but that was always going to be the weirdest location because, you know, like nobody can get there that easily no, but um you know this is a legitimate you know location where if you look at where ballparks are being built you know around baseball the last 25 years this matches what downtown ballparks are supposed to look like um they you know they've gotten environmental impact reports supposed to come in any day now they've gotten you know city the city is finally behind them in a in a real like actual legislative way. Um, you know, I think when Jerry Brown was the mayor of Oakland, um, I think I think it was his father who had told him, you know, as a politician, you never get involved with sports. And he took that to heart. And, you know, I mean, 
Oakland has a lot of other things that they have to worry about. And I don't think sports should be the number one priority, but um, he did not want to engage in trying to get a stadium built at any point during the time that he was mayor. Um, So, you know, when you don't have a mayor that's behind it, that's going to be difficult to move it along. You've also got this situation where it was always the County and the city and then the state, you know, so there's a lot of jurisdictions that you kind of have to get approvals from. But they do have a mayor who is very, de- you know, determined to keep the team there. Um, you know, they've watched the Raiders and the Warriors leave. They do not want to leave, you know, lose their third major professional sports franchise. They've got the Alameda County who's ready to get rid of being in the sports business and therefore is willing to kind of, you know, turn this over to getting a deal done where it's a privately financed stadium that's no longer Oakland Alameda County run property and all that sort of stuff. Um and so a lot more boxes have been ticked than have ever been ticked before. But at the same time, there's this parallel path to Las Vegas. And obviously building in Las Vegas is like you walk down the street and you tear down a building and you build a new one. And the next day, it's not there. There's far less complications than anywhere in California, of course. Um, so but all that being said, you know, Major League Baseball, I think, has come around to the idea that the market in the Bay Area is a two team market. I think they didn't always think that, but I think they do They do realize now that even sharing the market with San Francisco is much more lucrative from a media perspective than would be to be in Las Vegas, to be in Portland, to be in Nashville. They also do want to expand. And so there are markets that the A's might move into, like Las Vegas, which would take away an expansion city. And I think mm-hmm. they would much rather save that for the fee that they, they would all get from an expansion franchise than to have a franchise move for them. So... You know, the parallel path is certainly a real path. And I think if this environmental impact report or any other box doesn't get ticked, you know, that will be the direction that they go. But I think a lot of the work that is being done in Las Vegas is in part being done on behalf of Major League Baseball looking towards an expansion franchise that would likely move there instead. Um, In reality, I think a Las Vegas team makes more sense as an expansion franchise than it does as a franchise with an existing fan base, because it's going to be a market of out of town fans coming in and watching. I think you've sort of seen that with Arizona and how, you know, you haven't had that sort of built in dedicated fan base. I think they were hoping to get because it was a big baseball area with spring training and stuff. Um, And you're going to have that even more in Las Vegas because you don't even have spring training and you have a smaller metropolitan area. So, you know, an expansion franchise there would make a lot more sense. It certainly worked well with hockey um, than it would to bring an existing one with a hundred years of history like the A's. So. I, I just, I think a team in Las Vegas is destined to be the Marlins. Yeah. You know, but not mean destined to be like the Marlins where Miami on paper looked like it was such a great potential baseball market. And it hasn't been because it's been so many transplanted people. Like you said, I don't see the appeal of Vegas. I do see the appeal of, I think Portland could be a good baseball town because there are sports fans there and there are people from there and it's, and there's a sense of pride of city. I think the same thing with Nashville. I think the same thing potentially with Charlotte or Montreal. I I think Las Vegas would be a disaster. I just think it would be a, like the, the number of people who are from Vegas is you know, there's people transplanted there, kind of like what happened with, as you said, with with the Diamondbacks. And uh, every time I hear the Las Vegas A's, my eyes roll. Yes, the hockey team was a success, probably because it was the first team there 
And so right. it, was, it was a novelty. Secondly, it's really hot in Nevada. So maybe it's nice to go inside where it's cool. <laughs> kind of like the same reason why the te- the hockey teams in Florida become a big success too, because it's freaking hot in Florida. And football is different because it's a gambling thing and people can fly in to you. If you're a Raiders fan, you could fly from Oakland to Las Vegas twice a year, see yeah. a game there. And it's like, it's no different, but right. you know, baseball is a different animal. And I, I don't know. I, I, I understand why the A's would want to move. I let Vegas just to me is the disaster, but I personally hope the Howard terminal stadium works. Yeah. And it was, it's interesting. I mean, step up, the, if the A's get the, whatever their stadium, they're going to get, this is something the A's have been trying to get since the late 1940s when they were done with Shibe Park and they never really were satisfied with the Kansas City Stadium and they never were satisfied in the Coliseum. So since Connie Mack owned the team, they've been trying to get a stadium yeah. and they've never been satisfied. So this is this has been like 80 years in the making or so, you know, to, to have the uh, the A's in a stadium where they actually want to be in. Right. So, Although, I, you know, I will say that um, it's part of the DNA of the franchise. You know, it's like I, I know I know why they want to move. I know I understand it's a business. I'm, you know, not a uh, I'm not I'm kind of naive about why people own baseball franchises. But, um, you know, part of what the Oakland A's have always been about is this idea of kind of being I'm, I'm in this kind of concrete jungle and i it's all about baseball when you walk into that park there's none of the frills there's none of the you know beaches in center field and a coke bottle and you know all this other stuff this, this the seats are oriented towards home plate unlike a lot of stadiums you go to where you're having to crane your neck just to see the action the field is beautiful the weather is gorgeous and it's about baseball and it's relatively cheap compared to most places that you go. So, you know, the entry to becoming a baseball fan when going to the Coliseum is something that I think is pretty low, you know, as opposed to a lot of these other places where you, you, you know, you're going to be lucky to go to one game your whole life because that's how expensive it is. So, um, you know, that will be missed by baseball, I think, in general, when this is the last stadium of that to not be around anymore. You know, when you can't go and get dollar hot dogs and, um, you know, the, the walk in for five dollar seats and, and sit in the bleachers anywhere in baseball anymore. I think it will be missed. It's an era that is why a lot of us became baseball fans. I spent a whole summer taking BART and, you know, paying three bucks for a ticket. And that's why I'm still a baseball fan. Right. And, and uh, I don't know that there's a generation that's going to have that anymore. So um, I do hope they get it. I think it'll be gorgeous if if they build it. Um, I get the economics behind it, but it, it, it will be an end of an era of baseball when the Coliseum is no longer their home. I'm so glad you said that because I did a whole podcast from the Coliseum. Uh, in this last year, it was, I think it was the same game where Bassett threw the complete game. And I said kind of basically what you said, which was baseball fans talk about pilgrimages to Fenway Park, to Yankee Stadium, to, to Wrigley Field, to Cooperstown. I urge them to add Oakland to those pilgrimages, not because of the beauty of the stadium, but because when you go there, the only people there are people who want to see the A's. Right. It, it's it, it's like in t- it's very different.
dense with A's fans, with the, the 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 banners that people are holding for specific players in the outfield, the people beating the drums. When you're there, you're only surrounded by A's fans who love this team, have a tiny bit of a chip on their shoulder that they that they're not get the respect they get. But when you're there, it's like it's like baseball in a Bunsen burner. It's just boiled down to its essence, you know. And you said you what you said. There's none of the there are no kayaks coming up there. There's no train going around the top. There's no you know fish behind home plate. It's just no frills, you know, uh, a swap meet kind of feel that's there, and it's it's impossible to you have to focus on the game because right. there's nothing else to distract you. You're just I'm gonna just watch the game, and the people who are there are baseball fans and they're great fans and i and i really really hope that those fans are rewarded with a ballpark and eventually a team that wins a pennant yeah absolutely absolutely thank you so much for being part of tell people where where we can read and follow your wonderful stuff yeah, so uh, you can find me at, um, at The Athletic. It's uh, a very confusing elevator pitch, but I do write about The Athletics for The Athletic, which are two separate things. I also write about The Giants, um, and I copy edit for our MLB vertical. So you can find me kind of all over our MLB pages, but check out the whole site, and then you can find me on Twitter at, at Melissa Lockard as well. All right. Thank you, Melissa. And you can follow Melissa at Twitter at Melissa Lockhart, M-E-L-I-S-S-A-L-O-C-K-A-R-D. You can follow us at Locked On A's on Twitter. Jason, who's a normal host here, is at by Jason B on Twitter. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. And hey, thanks so much for making Locked On A's your first listen, as we're available for free in all your podcast platforms. And make your second listen be Locked On Bets with your boy Q fantasy and betting expert analysis from Lee Sterling. Talking about the A's with someone who knows a lot about them, Melissa Lockhart of The Athletic. This has been Locked on A's with me, your guest host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sullivan.